Hey, this is Caleb Clay, Associate Pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We believe that it will minister to you and be a blessing to your life. Now get ready to receive a word from God. I hope you have your Bibles and a notebook because we're going to be diving into God's word this morning. And I want to read this quick little excerpt that I found. And it kind of sums up a lot of what the world's facing right now. And so let me read this for you. It says, The pursuit of personal freedom is the strongest motivator in the Western social societies. It says, Societies and communities have tried their noblest to experience this freedom, and they still are plagued with uh, insecurities, inequality, racism, perjuries, and injustices, corruption, jealousy, suspicions, and competencies. It says abuse, neglect, and a clear, desperate plea for something greater. It says the best way to find out what is missing is what we are searching for is this identity to have power, right? We see this in our society all over the place. We have a difference between the haves and the haves not, correct? You guys can talk today. We're okay. We're in church. We can speak. But it says this common pursuit of all humans is this pursuit of power. And the desire to possess the ability to control one's circumstances and destinies. And so we see this all over the whole earth right now. That people want to have control over their life. They want to control their outcomes. But here's the thing. That was never designed for us to have without something. We were missing a key in today's world. And that is God. And so we're going to look, because to understand this desire of power, it's necessary for us to go back through to understand the original purpose of why God put man on the earth. Because without God, we are all without hope. I mean, if I took, well, we'll get there, we'll get there. But let's go over, and we're going to look at the driving motivation of creation. Because they're obviously, in the very beginning, we know it was God, correct? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the what? Earth. Thank you, guys. You guys sound great this morning. But the driving motivation out of God was love. Because love at its fullest capacity gives. And that's what God wanted to do. And so we must understand the creation, but we have to understand the creator before we can ever understand his creation. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go on an adventure. You guys like adventures? Yeah? Some of you guys? Okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of adventures. I love the adventure movies, the suspense, never knowing what's going to happen around the next corner. But here's the greatest thing about our God is he's already laid it all out. And we get to literally dive into God's word and we get to be in an adventure with him every day. And so we're going to be looking this morning at Genesis 1.26. We have said this verse many times, but here's where I challenge you this morning. Dive in deep. Don't just go, oh, we've said this one before. Nope, we want to be students of the word. And if you're going to be a student of the word, that means you are always teachable. There's something more we can always know. And so before we dive into this verse, though, I want to pray over you guys one more time. You guys want to pray with me? Awesome. Everybody bow your heads for me. Let's do this. Father God, we thank you for this word this morning. Holy Spirit, we call on you this morning. We call on you to be our helper, to be our, to be our teacher, 
to give us the revelation of your word this morning that we don't want it to just be more common knowledge. We want it to be revelation knowledge this morning. And we thank you that you will reveal your truth to us by the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at this. And so first off, the very first thing I want us to get into this mindset with is that, number one, God never intended to establish a religion on earth. You guys understand what I mean? God never intended to establish a religion on earth. He wanted to establish a kingdom on earth. And this is where we have to start shifting our mindset. And so Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This word image from the Hebrew literally means the nature, copy, excuse me, nature, copy, characteristics, and the mere essence of that image. So what God was saying is, let us make man in our nature. Let us make man a very copy of our characteristics and our mere nature of who we are. So now we see this image starting to play that God wanted to create himself in another vessel on earth. Because we know that obviously God created the seven or the six days God created and the seventh day he rested. Well, day one, two, three, four, five, he created all the earth that we see, the air, the water, the skies, the moon, the stars, all that stuff. Then on day six, he goes into creating man and all the beasts. And man was the last thing he created. Because what he was setting up was a precedent-setting event that everything he made, he said, now this last one, I will breathe life into it and it will be just like us, and it will rule over all that I've created. So he took care of Adam and Eve from the very beginning and made everything for them. And so we see that in this image, they were then supposed to represent God in the earth by the characteristics of God, how he governed and ruled heaven was going to be how Adam governed and ruled earth. Correct? Right. Awesome. We're We're all in this. But you see... Man was created to be in the God class. So many people want to go, whoa, 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 whoa. God's way up there. But you have to get back to the original intent. There was a difference between the cherubims and man. Cherubims obviously were the angels, were the ones in the heavenly places. But man, God formed from the dust of the earth, and he breathed his own breath of life into him. You don't see him talking about angels where he formed them from the dust and then he breathed life into them because he said, I want to create something that's just like us in the earth. And so he goes on and he makes him this God class to be that extension of God. Just like my arm is attached to my body, my hand is attached to my arm. But I can reach out and I can grab things that my body can't. Because why? It's all connected together. And that's what God was designing man to be is an extension of him in the earth. And so we go on and we see this that the word dominion 
laid out in there is that ruler authority, but that was the foundation of God's kingdom. And that in that foundation, that's what God's purpose and plan for humankind was all to be. And here's a really cool factor. God did not want to create servants. He wanted to create sons as kings, sons and daughters. He said, I don't want to have just servants that just obey me at my voice. I want to have this loving relationship with them that they are my royal offspring, that they have communion with me. It said that God would go down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam. And he would be there and he would commune with them. Well, obviously, we know that Genesis 1 and 2 are the perfect chapters in the Bible. But then we see Genesis chapter 3. And then we see the fall of man show up. And because when the fall of man shows up, we realize that there's a lot of things that we lost. And just for the sake of time, we're not going to go through all of chapter 3. But we know that a serpent was more craftier than all the beasts of the field was in there and God told Adam and Eve, he said, do not eat of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree you can eat freely. Just don't eat of that one. What was he doing? He was setting up for the obedience to follow him. He, like I said, he did not want to have slaves. He did not want to have servants. He wanted to have this free will moral agent that chose to follow him. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. Everything's perfect. They are representing God in the flesh. And then Eve has a conversation with the serpent. First thing the serpent does is he brings doubt to God's word. And he asks her, well, did God say, not say that you should eat of the trees? And she, whoa, 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 that's not what God said. We can eat of all the trees, we just can't eat of this one. And we can't even touch it or look at it. And so... Doubt starts going in her mind, and then all of a sudden he gets her to the point where she looks at it. And he says, God knows when you eat of it, you will know both good and evil. And so Eve starts looking at it and says, it now looks desirable to make one wise. And so she takes it, eats the fruit, gives it to her husband, eats the fruit. Both of their eyes are open. They realize something's different. Now they both know good and evil. God comes down, he asks a question. Adam, where are you? Pretty sure God didn't have to ask that question. I mean, God knew where they were at, but he was wanting a response. And Adam and Eve were hiding. They had made loin coverings because they realized they were both naked. And immediately, God knew what they had done. So he goes on in chapter 3 of this redemption plan to reestablish the kingdom that Adam had lost because Adam did not lose a religion. Adam did not lose this religion that man has of, well, God is just higher than us. No, he lost dominion over the earth. He lost the kingdom of God on the earth. And so man now is separated from God and God has this redemption plan. So he goes through and he talks to every single one of them. He talks to the serpent, he talks to the man, he talks to the woman, and he lays out the entire plan and says, this is what's going to happen. He said, there's going to be a seed that comes. He goes, the serpent's going to bite his heel, but he will crush his head. And he starts laying out this prophecy plan throughout all generation. And then as we study the Bible and as we go through the word, you'll find out that from Genesis all the way to Revelations, we see this plan in motion. We are still in this plan. You guys understand that, right? 
I tell the kids all the time when we're back there with them teaching the word that these are not just stories made up so that way you can understand what's going on. These are historical facts. You can go through history and see exactly what the timelines line up. But with the fall, there was a few things that we lost. And I'm just going to hit them really quick and then we're going to move on. But number one, we lost our position in the state of mind that Adam had. Adam was so, I mean, he had just this position where he could fully think clearly. But the moment he sinned, things became clouded. He could no longer occupy that space because sin had entered into his world. The next one was a transfer of responsibility. Satan never stole dominion from Adam. Adam freely gave it to him. Third thing is self-consciousness and shame showed up because of the result of sin. It said that they were afraid. The very first spot we see in the Bible talking about fear is with Adam and Eve. We were afraid, so we hid ourselves. Because shame in this self-consciousness showed up. Number four was obviously the fear and intimidation of authority. They knew God was the main authority. He was the supreme in authority. No one was higher than God. And they knew they messed up. So we cannot face him. So God has a lot of work to do to bring it back to what he originally established. And then obviously, uh, last couple was pain and discomfort. And then the need for human accountability showed up. And so we see through Genesis going all the way through the Old Testament where there's judges, there's kings, there's prophets, there's all these different avenues that God has to start using now to get his voice back in the earth. Because in all of this, God created the earth to be run by who? Man, us. So God removed his whole authority out and said, you have dominion, you rule over. So now God has literally spoken into law that he's no longer the one that controls this atmosphere. Man was. But see, now we have a problem because man has now given his authority over to the enemy. Now the enemy is controlling. It says that he has the domain of darkness and that he is the prince of the powers and he's the king of the darkness, pretty much. And so now we have this unlawful ruler ruling the earth. And God's trying to figure out a way back into the earth. So he understands he has to send a seed through a woman in order to reestablish what he first made. How, think about that. You made everything from your voice. He spoke it into existence, and in one instance, everything got transferred. So now, obviously, we know what was the motivation. Love. The motivation was love and giving of itself, because when love is at its fullest, it wants to extend it to others. So now God is at the fullest capacity of love because he is love. So he is wanting to give to others, recreate, not servants, but sons. And so God goes in to this restoration and redemption program. And here's the thing. It's his primary focus and goal for man was not to wipe them all out that people think, well, just get rid of them all, let's start over again. No, he wanted this redemption and restoration to reestablish the kingdom of God. 
And Pastor Mark has ministered on this multiple times. But if I take my Bible and I place it here, that's the original spot. But if all of a sudden it falls off the podium to the side and I see it down there, I can continue on with my whole message and minister, but where was that supposed to be? Back on the podium. But see, so many times people want to go, okay, well, here, we'll just set that right here. Balance it, balance. No, it's not going to stay. Okay, that's not going to stay there. Let's go put it over here. And they want to move it, but did I restore it back to where it was? No, I can't even use it over there. But you see, God's original plan for mankind was not to replace them or put them in a new position. He said, I want to restore you back to where Adam had lost. And so we all know the end goal was Jesus, the word made flesh. But we're going to see how he got there. And so obviously religion is a terrible thing. It really is. Religion is man's attempt or substitute for the kingdom of God. And here's what religion does. Religion occupies you until you find the kingdom of God. And so religion says, just wait, just wait here. You know what? You got your ticket to heaven and one day it'll all be better. That is so sad. And dear Lord, I don't want to be a part of it. Because why in God's green, beautiful earth would I want to struggle through life just so that way at the very end I could get my prize, which would be going to heaven and dying. That is a waste of a lifetime. What if I told you God had a plan and a purpose that you were destined to before you were even in your mother's womb, that God called you by name and said, you have a purpose on this earth and they need your voice. So don't live in this poor, pitiful, sinful me of I'm a, just a sorry sinner saved by grace. But what if all of a sudden you are now born again, spirit-filled believer that is a child of the king and that you walk into a place and you say, the kingdom of God is here because I am. And you change that atmosphere. That's what this world needs, not, I know Jesus. Me and Jesus are like this. And one day I'll be like this with him. That's too late. We've, we've wasted it. I was talking to an individual the other day and he was talking about we're one day closer to heaven. I said, what have you done in the meantime? I mean, I know we're all excited, but here's the deal. God never wanted us to be heavenly focused. He wanted us to be kingdom minded. We're not about going just straight to heaven and living in the by and by and living for eternity with Jesus. That's going to be awesome. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of stuff that he wants us to accomplish on this earth today that he needs you. Because here's the thing. God can't do it without you. He might, if you choose to not obey him, he'll find somebody else. But he has to have that skin suit in the earth. Because guess what? We were made from the earth. We have legal access to be here. And so we have to get this mindset. Everybody say this with me. Say, I need God and he needs me. Because that's what the deal is. Is that literally, we need God every day, every second. We need him. We need more of him. We need to become more like him. But also, he needs you. He needs your obedience to follow him. Let's get back to it. Here we go. But here's the hardest thing for us to understand. Obviously, religion was man-made to occupy our time. But you see, 
the kingdom of God is a activation for the believer. It's not about just sitting around not doing anything. That's why it's so hard. In scripture, it says that the kingdom suffers violent, but the violent take it by force. It means there's work to be done in the kingdom. I mean, I remember growing up and I was blessed to have godly parents that had me in a great Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled church that I could be able to really learn God's word. But here's the thing, is even growing up, there wasn't as much just responsibility placed on me to live that kingdom lifestyle. It was more of a, well, God will forgive you of your sins. If you screw up, it's okay. He'll forgive you. We'll move on. But you see, the kingdom brings a whole new mindset, a whole new lens that isn't just a, well, I can just sin and then right before I die, I'll get things right. No, this kingdom brings this mindset where it says, no, I'm going to live my life to the fullest. And why would I ever flirt with that line of sin? I want to make sure that I am so far on God's side. Even if I do stumble and fall, I'm way, way away from that, that ledge right here. But you see, God wanted this purpose to be done. So in the very beginning, this is what he wanted to establish. Number one, he wanted to establish a family of spirit sons, not servants. Number two, he wanted to establish a kingdom, not a religious organization. Then number three, he wanted to establish a kingdom of kings and not subjects, which is huge because in the mindset of kings, we don't obviously have a king in the United States, and we're actually celebrating the 4th of July weekend of our independence from the kingship. But we have to understand that the king was the supreme in authority. He was the top dog. Everything went to him. What his voice was was law. And so God never wanted to have subjects, but even throughout biblical times, the subjects were the ones that represented the king of how well that king was doing. When King Solomon was on this earth, it said that they knew how wealthy he was and how well he took care of his people because they looked at his servants and how well they were dressed. But you see, God said, I'm not interested in subjects. I want sons. I want a royal offspring. And here's the thing about being in the family. You have full access to all the king's things. The kingdom is literally at your disposal. And so we have to have this mindset now. I, when I am a born-again believer and I have confessed Jesus as my Lord, then now I am part of this kingdom and that everything the king has, I have full access to. And so he goes on and we see that he wanted to establish this commonwealth between the citizens, that whatever was needed, he was going to take care of. And then also he wanted to extend the heavenly government to earth to influence the earth from heaven through mankind. We all know this scripture, but when we talk about the Lord's prayer, how does it start? Our Father, who out in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've read that so many times. A lot of us, who memorized it whenever you were younger? I'm just going to say that. Look at the hands. But... Did we have a true understanding and revelation of what Jesus was telling them to ask for? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in 
heaven. So why in the world are we asking God to take us out of here? Lord, just come back as soon as you can. Just take me home. He said, no, no, no. You have a job and an assignment that I, you were born for this on earth. And so then we go on because obviously his, his whole purpose and what we can really view the Bible as now is this whole Bible is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. That's what the whole thing is about. It's not about all the stories of the cross. It's not about all the stories from the Old Testament with the prophets and the law. No, it's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring, which is you and I when we become believers of Christ. And so God wanted this offspring to have the relationship with him. And so he needed to reestablish what Adam had lost. And so when we go look at this, we see Isaiah's prophecy over in Isaiah 9, verse, and we're actually going to start in verse 6. But we read this all the time for Christmas time. This is one of our Christmas verses. But over in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Amen, right? Well, here we go. Let's read verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And you see, this was God's plan from the very beginning, was to establish a kingdom on earth through the hearts of men. He was not literally talking about a physical location. He was talking about the territory of man, the heart of man. Because every king has to have a territory, and that consists of land, resources. Well, guess where we were made from? Dirt. Dirt's land. So he wants to now take possession of your territory. Here's the thing, though. We're all free will moral agents, meaning we have a choice. You can say yes, you can say no. But you're going to have to make a choice one day. And why wait? Why wait until we get to the end of our life or the end of the road and we decide, okay, now I'll ask Jesus to be my Lord. No, there's so much more. So much more that we could be a part of whenever we understand that we are a son of the king. Amen? And so we see here that obviously every king or ruler has his territory. So Psalms 115, starting in verse number 15, says, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the whose? Lord's. Then it says here, but the earth he has given to who? Sons of men. So heavens, He's the Lord. The earth, whose responsibility is it? Everybody raise your hand. Say mine. Because it's not just ours, it's mine. Every person making a choice. So here's the thing. Back in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, and we look at 
verse 26. He goes over fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle on all the hills, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, all those things he covers. What did he not cover in that first dominion mandate? Men. Because his original goal was not to create a king with servants. He wanted to create sons as kings with an S, plural. He wanted us all to rule under his authority. Not rule over people because that's where we started off. That men were trying to have this power, have this plea to be above or control their circumstances or control their destiny. Well, without God, you were never designed to do that. It says that he knows all the thoughts and intentions of man. He knows all the hair that are on your head. He knows all these thoughts and plans that he has for you. Because he created us. He's the one that is the rightful owner by creation. And here's the thing is we have to understand the creation by the creator. So a lot of you guys know I work Monday through Friday as an auto mechanic. So I deal with a lot of cars. And there's a lot of different manufacturers and a lot of different models from these manufacturers. But here's the thing I've learned. Each model and each manufacturer do things differently. So I can't go take a Volvo and go look at a Chevy Silverado and say, oh yeah, the parts will interchange, no problem, let's just do this. It won't work. So what do I have to do? I have to go research the manufacturer's designs. I have to go figure out what was the manufacturer intending for this vehicle. Because dear Lord, if you got you a little Volkswagen bug and you're trying to pull a big fifth wheel camper, it ain't going to work right. It was not designed to handle that. But if you go get you a nice big Dodge Cummins Dually, it might be okay. But here's the thing with the manufacturer. They know the purpose and intent of every model they put out. I looked at a vehicle the other day and I thought, oh man, this is nice. On a label, it says, is not intended to pull a fifth wheel camper. On the label of the truck. I said, wow, that's very specific. All right, I guess, I hope they're not trying to do that with this because it was not intended for that. But the biggest thing is that the creation is always in the mind of the creator. He always knows the perfect intent, the purpose, the design. He even knows what parts to use to make it run its best, fullest life. Well, see, this all comes from the creator of the universe, which is God the Father. He knows every model that he's placed on this earth. He knows what parts he put in it. He knows what design it has. He knows what the purpose is intended for. But that's where we fall into play, and we have to find out and get back in line with his purpose. Because his purpose has never changed for us. He still wants relationship. He still wants to have that sonship or, with us. But we have to then get back in line from the fall of man to where Jesus has brought us. And we're going to get there. But over in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is having this conversation and people are asking, well, if you're bringing back the kingdom, what's going on? What's happening? Where is it? And so he starts off in Luke 17, 20, 
And then also verse 21, it says Luke 17, verse 20. It says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, here, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And so he wanted to establish his heavenly kingdom through the hearts of men. And so he said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send my son. He's going to go. He's going to die on a cross as a blameless and spotless lamb. No fault at all. But when he does that, it will pay the price for all of man's sin. And so after he dies on the cross, he's, I'm not just going to let him die and just stay down. Because when a king dies, his reign is then over. And he goes on to the next person. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus not only died as the reigning king, because that's why he got crucified. They didn't crucify him for being a religious leader. They didn't say, well, you brought Christianity to the earth, and we're going to stone you now, and we're going to hang you on a cross. They didn't say that. Pilate asked Jesus, he said, they say you're the king of the Jews, what do you say? He goes, well, did they tell you about me or all this stuff? And he goes, you say correctly, I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would be fighting for me that I wouldn't be handed over to you guys. He goes, but like I said before, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate hears all this statement. He goes, so you are a king. He goes, you say correctly, I am a king. And for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I have come. So Jesus is bringing back the kingdom of God through mankind. Pilate looks at him, he's like, man, I'm washing my hands, I got nothing. What do y'all want to do? Crucify him. Because he was bringing a kingdom that they thought was going to overthrow the Roman government. It wasn't a religion. God had told him from the very get-go, three days, you'll be in the ground. You're in the ground, you dead. That's the end of the reign. There's no more ruling and reigning because you in the ground, you dead. But you see, it said to his disciples, they were watching. That's what terrified them. Because everything that he had said to his disciples, they were watching come true. And then the moment he came back, it said that he took death, hell, and the grave. And he established his kingdom forever. Because he was now the reign. Because once you've been chosen king, you're put in that king. And only a higher power can remove you. When God chose Saul, he picked him. But then, guess what happened? Saul messed up. He said, I have rejected him as king. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Over in John 1, it said that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Correct? And so we understand that there is no other higher power than Jesus. Correct? So now, Jesus is our king. And when we are kings with him, we become children of God. And we're going to look at all this, and we're going to see how we enter into this kingdom. But we have to understand, the same position where Jesus is at, sit bought as he is, being hand of the Father. We are in the same spot as he is because he died for you. Women from the Old Testament and even the New Testament, we're longing to see this. We freely have it now. We just have to accept it. And so we go on because they're asking, where is it? And he tells them, he says, this planet 
is not about a kingdom physicians filled with kingdom citizens occupying territory. Because he said, I'm not interested in just a one global position. I want the whole thing. And so he goes on. And we see the message of Jesus. And here's the most interesting thing. Is I've heard ministers just constantly talk about how Jesus always came preaching a message about love. Or Jesus came bringing the message of grace. Or Jesus came bringing the repentance message. Or Jesus came bringing healing. Or whatever it may be. And Pastor Earl has a book out there called The Forest. But what it talks about is, yes, there is a message of peace. Yes, there is a message of hope. Yes, there is a message of love. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's prosperity. Yes, there's healing. There's all these things, but they are trees in the forest of belief. No, the kingdom is so just walking over, hugging onto one tree and saying, well, this is what I believe. No, the kingdom is so much more. And everything that we hear is wrapped up inside of it. Because here's what happened. In Matthew chapter 3, verse number 1, we see John the Baptist show up on the scene. And John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus. And we see here it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It says, For this is who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so repent literally means change your thinking, having a change of mind. So John the Baptist is a very interesting man, very rugged man, wilderness dude, eating locusts and honey and camel cloth all over him. I mean, very interesting man coming into the city saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which means it's near, it's coming, it's right here, it's in your midst. So then we go on. And obviously, John the Baptist has his role with Jesus. Then we go to Matthew chapter 4. We see Jesus gets baptized. He gets tempted. Then after he gets out of his temptation of the wilderness, he comes in. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, For repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Very first time Jesus is preaching, he starts his ministry by saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because why? That's why he was sent. It was not about religious organizations. It was not about the select or the haves or haves not. But he said, my God has sent me to you to reestablish what Adam lost in the very beginning, which is the sonship and dominion. Period. So Jesus goes out on his whole ministry and all of a sudden he gets 12 guys with him and he gets his whole following and they're going around. They are changing up the society. They're talking about the kingdom. They're talking about the reigning king. They're doing all these things and it's changing up a culture. Well, then they go on to Matthew chapter 10. Verse number six says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and as you go, preach saying, This is Jesus talking to the 12. So he's giving them instructions of what they must do when they go out of his midst. He's sending them out. And he tells them, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's letting them know, this has always been about a kingdom. 
There's a domain of darkness that is occupying this earth right now, but the kingdom of God is coming back to restore what Adam lost. We are going to take back territory that no longer is going to be occupied by this unlawful ruler. So Jesus is working with these men, and they are following him around. They are committing themselves to him, and it gets to the point where all of a sudden their fearless leader, Jesus, is now being persecuted. We're not going to get into all that today. We're just laying an easy foundation for those who have never heard this before. Because it's never been about a religion. Christianity, the term Christian, literally came from others looking at people that follow Jesus. Do you know what the term Christian means? It means to be Christ-like or a Christ follower. They looked at them and they said, those people look like Christ because what were they doing? The same thing he was while he was on this earth. They were speaking the same. They were going out. It even goes on to say, and says, verse number eight, or verse seven, let's go back and read it all in context. And it says, and as you go preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received. So what? Freely give. You have to understand, this is a very loving and giving God. The whole motivation for creation was to extend his love into another vessel. That's what we were created for. But we were also created to rule and reign just like God. There's so many people in this earth that are living so low beneath what God intended for them. I mean, we see it in just our society and in our culture. We see the things that are happening and how people are treating other people and just so much darkness that if they just understood who we are and what we're a part of, that we are a child of God and that we are a part of a kingdom of just, I mean, unshakable, always ruling, always loving, always giving. Man, these people would just abandon it all to jump in. And so we have to understand that this is what his disciples were doing. They were going forth being an extension of him, and that's why they got labeled Christians. He never wanted them to be Christians. He wanted them to be kingdom citizens. Because back in those days and going through biblical history and looking at all these different things, what the Roman culture did was they would colonize a land which did not mean going in, taking over all the land, ripping all the people out, killing them all and getting rid of them. No, they would go in and then they would send an ambassador or a governor to go into that land and territory and then teach all the people in the land how to live according to the Roman way. And so when Jesus showed up in that same exact timeline, it was a perfect season for God to establish his kingdom in the hearts of men. Because he said, I'm not interested in taking you from earth to heaven. I want to influence earth through you while you're still here. Jesus showed up and what did he do? He was the ambassador for God. And you go throughout, I encourage you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can see where all of a sudden he would bring parables. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. The kingdom of heaven is like wheat kingdom of heaven is all this 
because he was constantly referring and trying to reestablish the kingdom in people's minds, trying to show them what God's kingdom was really like. And then I'll tell you this. Craziest thing whenever we were studying things out was Jesus never gave an altar call. You want it in, you want it in. There was one account in John chapter 3 where he was talking to Nicodemus late at night, and he had asked him, he said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? He said, you must become born again. And then he talks this whole, you can go through, you can read it in John chapter 3, but he goes through this whole dialogue. Well, I'm, I'm a grown man. How am I going to enter my mother's womb? And he says, it's not about flesh and blood. It's about the spirit. And he's saying, you have to renew your spirit and change that spirit inside of you in order to receive the kingdom. And so then we go on and we see that over in Acts, the kingdom of God did not stop with the disciples. We go over to Acts chapter 20, verse 25, and it says, Indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the what? Kingdom of God. Okay, it is up there. We'll see my face no more. This is Paul talking. Then we go on to Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. It says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ in all confidence, no one forbidding him. So you see, the disciples were with Jesus nonstop. Paul, on the other hand, had this road to Damascus experience where God called his name, blinded him, fell off a donkey. He said, you will then follow after me. What message did Paul learn to preach? The kingdom. And so he had a whole other journey that Paul had to go on to the Gentiles, go to those that aren't inside of Israel. But it was the same message. It was the same thing that Jesus came in Matthew chapter 4 and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Paul carried on, and we can see all throughout the Bible that it was always about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring, us. But you see, here's the most challenging thing that we fall into, though, is Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So here's the thing about the kingdom of God, is that there still is an enemy out there. His name is Satan. He still owns territory in the hearts of men on this earth. And if you don't think he's trying to do everything in his power to stop this message because he knows what the end is. He knows that he's defeated and that this whole thing's over and he's going to be locked up. But here's the problem is if he can't get you to go to his side, he'll try to distract you. I mean, we have in our nation today, in the United States today, I saw an article yesterday where it said in California, not only are they advising people to wear masks in church, but also they are now, I believe it was, what was it, requiring, mandatory or something, where they can't worship. I mean, 
think about the time and age we live in that the enemy knows what will fuel the believer, what fuels that message. But we have to understand that, man, my God's way bigger than this. I mean, I was talking to my kids just the other day, and they were kind of concerned about just some end time stuff and just going through. I said, man, you have to understand when you are a kingdom citizen, it is so exciting because when the world gets darker, guess what happens to the light? It becomes brighter. It starts showing more. I mean, we always sing that song of this little light of mine. I'm not going to sing it. I was going to. I was that close. But it says, hide it under a bushel. No. Because guess what happens to that light? That light starts shining brighter in the darkness. And the only way to hide the light is you choose to hide it. Darkness can't hide it anymore. But you can hide it. And how does that look? Well, it happens whenever you're at work and a coworker is asking questions about your faith or your belief. And man, I love those conversations. Because you know what? I might get in trouble if I bring them up, but if they ask me a question, I am just answering their question. I don't have to force it down them. They'll come and ask me. So whenever those opportunities come, we don't want it to look like this. So you go to church? Yeah, what church do you go to? What do you guys believe? Oh, stuff. You should come sometime. See you later. I got to go back to work now. That's an opportunity to be able to start sharing the message of the kingdom to those that are lost and hurting. I mean, if I said right now I had the whole cure for COVID, but I had it in my pocket and I never took it out to give it to anyone, what good would that be? It would be selfish. And it wouldn't affect, I mean, I'd be great. I got the cure. But I would watch so many other people dying around me knowing I have the answer. Welcome to the kingdom of God. You have the answer. Don't stick it in your pocket. Don't hold on to it. Right now is a time where we should be sharing even more. We should be telling more about our faith. And because here's the thing. People that you meet may not understand your Jesus. And what I mean by that is they might have this image or this idea of who they think Jesus is based on what people have said. Dear Lord, go and open the Bible for yourself and start digging into who God really is. Find out what your role is, what your place is in God's kingdom. Because guess what? It never gets full. There's always an open opportunity at any moment to be able to bring someone else into the kingdom. And so, as we're closing tonight, or today, daytime, it's, I don't even know what time it is. Oh man, we're doing great on time, Robert. This is awesome. Uh, Worship team, will you come back up? But whenever God speaks to you, he addresses you based on what he knows about you, not what others have said about you. You have to understand that. He has an intimate relationship with us. What we have to understand is, what is my relationship with him? He knows you. He doesn't even have to talk to you on a daily basis because he knows who you are. He knows the thoughts and intentions of man's heart. That's a deep one. I mean, dear Lord... But here's the thing. He wants to be so close to you that all of this stuff going on in our world right now, we should have this understanding that, man, I understand it's going to be dark, but it says in those last days, there will be such a pouring out of God's Spirit and that 
God is the one that draws men to himself, and the Holy Spirit will bring men into repentance. So even as it gets darker, the church should shine so bright that people run to it and say, we want what you have. When Jesus would give those, or the disciples would give the calls. One day after the day of Pentecost, when they all came out, they all thought they were drunk. Said, man, these people have been day drinking. They're craziness. And Peter gets up there and starts addressing the crowd about the kingdom of God and about who Jesus Christ is to them. Thousands upon thousands were added to the church because they believed. As the things get darker, as the world gets crazier, guess what? You are a light. You are an answer. I love what Jerry Anson always says. You are a solution to this world's problem. And just think about this. When God created the heavens and the earth, placed man on the earth, he knew on July 5th, 2020, there would be a group of people in Valdosta, Georgia, that would gather together in his name to lift up the one true king and that they had the solution to the world's problems. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. For me, I mean, it is, it is mind-boggling to think God designed all of this with me in mind. But here's the problem, is if you're not in the kingdom of God, you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord, you're not part of the solution yet. And here's the thing. Confessing Jesus as Lord is different than asking Jesus into your heart when you were five years old. Jesus is not wanting to come and occupy your heart. He's wanting the kingdom to occupy your heart. Yes, we have to accept Jesus as Lord, but when we say, Jesus, you are my Lord, that literally means that you are owner of my property. Everything that is in me, every resource that I have, every mental capacity that I own, I give to you. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into that salvation. And so right now this morning, if you have never confessed Jesus as your Lord, I'm not gonna ask for heads bowed, eyes closed, because guess what? There's no illegal immigrants in the kingdom of God. You can't slip them through the barricade. It is a free choice. And so you have to make that free choice this morning. And even if you say, well, Pastor Caleb, I, I made Jesus my, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was younger, but I've never made him my Lord. I've never surrendered everything over to him. This morning is that morning. And so if you want to do that, we got people that will come pray with you. I will pray with you. But if that's you, I want you to raise your hand because there's no better way than to starting your week than walking into the kingdom of God. Amen. So Father God, we thank you, Lord, this morning. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we get to learn who that you are, that Father, you are God, the creator, that every part of us was manufactured and designed your purpose and so father we thank you lord right now that we get to learn more of who you are who we are to you but father we thank you right now for the holy spirit that is revealing to us our role in your kingdom 
the purpose, the plan, the destiny that you have established from the very beginning for us to fulfill. Now, Father, we don't want to pass it on to somebody else because we say, no, we want to obey you. We want to submit to you and say, Lord, I will pick up my cross and follow you. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person under the sound of my voice this morning, that as they receive this word, that, Father, they will put it into their heart. They'll put it into motion. They'll challenge those thoughts, those ideas that they once knew, that they thought were true, that were really just a lie from the enemy. That, Father, that they will challenge those according to your word. And that, Father, that they will be able to live a life to its fullest capacity. Live the kingdom lifestyle, Father, that is abundance. And that, Father, they will live a life pleasing to you. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's message. If there is any message that you have missed or you just want to hear again, they are all available for free on iTunes. Just search Anchor Faith Church Valdosta and be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified once the new messages are available. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church and what we have available for you and your family, or if you'd like to donate financially to the ministry, be sure to visit our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.